Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. We're in the book of Acts. Book of Acts, this is the last in our opening volley as we go through the book of Acts. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. Um, We are in Acts chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 12. Uh, Because my intention is to read through the end of the chapter, typically we stand for that, but uh, I want you to see these words and see what is happening. So I'm going to ask you with reverence in your heart to stay seated and still uh, read, read the word, um, praising God, okay? But I want you to see what is actually going on in these moments in the Bible that is in front of you. Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets. They laid them on cots and mats as Peter came by, that at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's an amazing statement. But the high priest rose up. Of course, you were waiting for him, weren't you? And all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and he was filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles. They put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple. Speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came, those who were with him, they called together the council and the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, an 
honored by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him dispersed. It came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let it alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. Father, we, as we consider this passage, we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and that, Father, you would make us those who eagerly go and tell the good news. Help us to understand what we see. Help us to uh, be able to understand what you would have us do in this day and age, in this current moment, with the things that we are stirred by as we read them. Father, help us to understand this passage and to use it well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor wrote, uh, there is one critical question which is perpetually haunting the minds of many who are seeking to serve Christ in his church today. It is a question we often suppress because it makes us uneasy, but it's too fundamental to be ignored. If all the Bible says is true, why is our religion not accomplishing more? Why is it not affecting a more radical transformation of the human scene? Why are our own lives not being delivered more thoroughly from compromise and defeat? Why is there not created a church aflame with faith, free from scandal of division, inspired in all of its members with a consuming passion to bear witness to Christ? In other words, why is it that the church looks like the church when there is all of this truth in Scripture about a powerful God that we can worship? Shouldn't he be transforming us in some more significant way? Well, we see right here, an example of transformation. Isn't that true? In this passage, we see something that is shocking. It's just on the heels of a shakeup. Within the church, there are two people who, wanting to be significant, were exposed as hypocrites, and their lives were over. A shocking moment in church history. God keeps the church purified and keeps that fire not only white hot, but free from things that would distract it. And the very next thing that we see is this, this passage that we just spent our time with. God is energizing his people. He is setting them free. He's, he's doing it in a comedic fashion. There's an energy there. And I think what happens in us as we begin to read these things is we see what is happening in this moment and there is part of us that says, why can't that happen today? 
Why can't that happen today? I want us to just walk through and ask some questions of this text, actually make some observations of things that are going on, what was for them and what is for us, but I also want us to apply this thought. The only thing that is stopping you from walking with the Spirit of God into whatever he has next, into amazing things like Pete just experienced, the only thing that's stopping from you uh, from walking with the Spirit of God is you. We are the ones that resist what he has for us. It's not that Christianity has been tried and found lacking. It's that it was found hard and it was left untried. We need to be focused the way they were focused. To allow the Spirit of God to do whatever he would do, to say whatever he would say through us. What we need to be aware of is at this point in our study, the church is ablaze, it's properly contained, and it's about to get stoked. When you stoke a fire, you poke it, but you also arrange the coals so there's a white hot heat. There's over 10,000 people in the church at this moment, and it is growing. People are getting saved everywhere that they look. And God is maintaining the purity of the church by making sure that those who would come in and invade it in these early stages uh, were kept out. That's a significant thing. But also, I want you to be aware that as you're reading the book of Acts, these first seven, in fact, right up into chapter eight, that these first eight chapters are meant to be read as a whole. We tend to break them up, and we have to on a Sunday in order to study them. But you read all the way through them in order to understand the shakeup that causes all of the people to disperse. How is it that they were cast out into all the rest of Rome and, and flung out into the far reaches of the world? Why did they flee at that moment of persecution? It wasn't a lack of faith. This was a throbbing pulse where they were prepared in the heat of battle and then sent out. All of these eight chapters put together lead to a moment that, that causes the gospel to be dispersed everywhere. Continuing waves of persecution in these first seven chapters are preparing the hearts of believer to make sure that they are yielded to the Spirit of God and they're focused on God and not themselves. So stoking the fire. How is it that God did this? I want to make a couple of observations here, and I want us to think about them in our own lives. The first thing I want you to see is it says in verse 12, Now many of the signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Key there, by the hands of the apostles. The church witnessed miracles. They did not work miracles. They witnessed miracles. They did not Work them. This is done by the hands of the apostles. It is the living God who is at work in the people. And we believe that those miracles happen. Amen? Amen? Now, we still have a God who can do miracles today. Isn't that true? We have them. We see them. But there was something happening in the early church that doesn't happen all the time. And that's by design. And he chose some individuals to work through for a season in order for the message to get out. He was giving them credibility. The church witnessed these miracles, but it was God that was doing the miracles. The church was not the one working them. Most of the time, we get confused because we believe the church is like a china hutch, right? 
We have this uh, opportunity to have something really gilded and beautiful, and we can put fine works on display. And so we come to church, and we try to be one of the uh, pieces, right, that are on display in the China Hutch. We want somebody to see our polish and our clarity, and, and it becomes more about the piece than it does about the maker. You walk by, and you see the beauty of an individual. You see the beauty of a story. You see the beauty of a life. And we tend to try to put those things on display as if the church is a china hutch. But what we see in scripture is quite often, uh, and when we are drawn to it, um, we see that the church is more like a magician's box. Here you have uh, a magician who is beginning to do his work, but everything that is in front of you at that moment has been designed by the master. He's the one. And the magician show, it's all illusions. In the scripture, it's all true. But everything that you see, the church doesn't have any power any more than a magician's box has any power. It is the one who is running the show, the magician, the author, in Scripture, it is God who is doing all of the work. Now, he chooses to do that in the church, but the church doesn't have any power. Do you know that? You walked into a building today, and the church building doesn't have any power. You know who has all the power? The Spirit of God. The living God is the one who transforms lives, changes life, and works any miracle that we've ever seen. Isn't that true? The church just is a place where if it is properly understood, people are drawn to the message, they're drawn to the scene, they're drawn to what is going on there on that stage because the master is being put on display. There's no power in the box. All of the power lies with the master, all the way through Scripture. We need to make sure that when we see miracles, when we are craving to see something significant in our life, it's not that you have to try and engage with a power the Holy Spirit is not a power. He is a person. Walk with the person of Christ. Walk with the living God and see what he will do. But it is not, it is not a matter of it, just a test of faith or a miracle working church or getting to the right place. They went to Solomon's portico. Do you remember any stories about Solomon's portico in the New Testament? Here you have a bunch of people at Solomon's portico that were sick and dying. What we've consistently said is if God actually gave you the ability to heal, why wouldn't you go to the sick? Well, that's exactly what they were doing. All the times we see Solomon's portico in the, the gospel stories, there are sick people that are laying there hoping to receive alms or to receive help. Well, the New Testament church, when they saw that God uh, was at work through them, that God was using them in a significant way, they ran right to the place where that need would be most appreciated. They didn't have the power, but they knew that God was using them in a unique way, so they let his power be on display. The church was witnessing miracles, and it was a beautiful thing. A second thing I want you to see, though, is that there was a jealousy that rose. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him and was filled with jealousy. Verse 17. Jealousy is shown when you do not want to share what you have. They had notoriety, they had power, and they did not want to share any of that with the disciples. All of a sudden, 10,000 people and growing. Every single day, there are people that are coming to Christ. There's transformation everywhere. There is reverence and respect. They haven't seen reverence and respect like this in their religion for a long time. 
They were deeply jealous. Carrie Newoff uh, wrote, wrote a phrase um, that had been retweeted so many times that they made it actually into a, a blog. He wrote, someone else's success should never make you feel like a failure. It should make you pleased for their success, shouldn't it? But when somebody else is succeeding, if you get frustrated by that or you say, why not me? Or if you start feeling like a failure, it's because jealousy has arisen in your heart. That's not what God wants for you as a response. We should praise God when good things are happening to other people. Amen? We should praise God when we hear that there's a revival breaking out in another church. Amen? That's God at work in his people. If we're frustrated that God's at work in some place, we're frustrated with God. That jealousy is not something God supports. Wherever he's at work, wherever he deems, chooses to be at work, we should be thankful and praise God that it's going on. Jealousy does not look good on a leader. The high priest is filled with jealousy and it destroyed his thinking. But before we jump off that point, I want to ask you, do, do you rejoice at the good fortune of others? We're heading into a season right, where all of our advertising is about bigger and better. I saw an ad the other day where somebody said, oh, yeah, you, you, you know, one person got a puppy, the other person got two cars, right? <laughs> Anybody here giving two cars for Christmas? <laughs> I'd like to get in on that list. <laughs> two cars. Now, we know that means two payments, but that's ridiculously huge. When somebody else receives something that you've been hungry for, are you excited for them or do you get jealous? Do you say, why not me? Their success, their blessing, their achievement, we should be thankful. When we see something good happen, we should praise God, not be bitter. A third thing I want you to see is that a profound testimony is rarely a painless one. Verse 25 says, someone came and told them, look, the men that you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Uh, that's just, for me, that's comedy, all right? They go into prison, they go to get these guys, and they said, look, the guards are standing out there. They're still singing the same songs, twiddling the same thumbs. All the gates are locked. Everything's prepared. But there was nobody on the inside. Did they not know? Yeah, we fed them this morning. <laughs> no, there's nobody there. They're right back in the same place. That's profound. But in verse 40, look what it says. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and challenged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Notice what's not there is an angry disciple. Somebody who said, didn't you hear what Gamaliel said, and with anger says, why are you beating us? We're doing God's work. We don't see somebody shaking their fists. We don't see some sign holding 10,000 disciples watching their leaders get put in jail, angry out there and bothered. No, they're rejoicing. This is a profound testimony, and it comes with pain. Our team just got back from India. One of the people that they were engaged with there is Pastor Garish. Pastor Garish had Spent some time, and he said, actually, uh, he said many of the pastors in our area were jealous, and they were concerned about others, and it was really all about how can we build a church and be known for that church. And he says, I was planting um, you know, a, a church at a time. 
I think he had said uh, at one time when we were talking way back when Karish had actually come to the States that there were 14 churches that he was able to plant. And he thought that he had done amazing things and was, you know, feeling pretty good about himself. But he actually said that was, that was Garish at work, not God at work. Now, uh, I was talking with Bruce, and, and, and there's some crazy things that are going on in India. As these teams have gone over and been able to participate in sharing the gospel, they've watched churches get planted with people that are leading them. But there's over 300,000 churches. Think of that number. 300,000 churches in that area now that Garish is a part of leading. By my power, we can get to 14. 300,000 folks, we, we're mind, our minds are blown when you think about the density of the population and these house churches that are going out. But Garish has had to endure persecution, rejection, challenges. When you listen to what it is that they deal with on a daily basis, it is shocking. The deprivation that they have to face and the irritation at other people at your success. There was another pastor that came to visit us, Sonny Ibrahim, that works with uh, RSA. When he had come to the United States, I, I went to give him a hug, and uh, he was so tender. He, he gives me a hug, but man, he's like, oh, ah, ah. And I'm saying, hey, brother, what's going on? And he said, oh, I'm just a little sore in my ribs. Well, Reed had told me that he'd gone out with another uh, guy, and they were actually in the process of sharing the gospel, and... Uh, the guy that he was with had been beaten to death. Sonny had been beaten, and he was afraid to tell people in the United States of the beating. Get on, he got on the plane and still came to encourage us. He was afraid to tell us about that because he was concerned about our faith. He was worried that we wouldn't be able to handle it and we would be discouraged. So he didn't tell anybody. A group of people from his church had come out and actually stopped the beating, was able to get him on the inside. He was sharing the gospel, and the guy doesn't quit sharing the gospel. In fact, he started a pastor's college to teach other people how to share the gospel and go into hard-to-reach places where the gospel is considered to be in opposition to everything that's there, but he says they're going to hell without a Savior. Do you believe it? That's a profound testimony, but it is rarely a painless one. Think of anybody who you revere when you think of their testimony, you begin to investigate their life, and I believe that you will find in every single one of them hardship that God has used to soften their lines and to focus them on Jesus Christ. Amen? Less of us and more of him. And he proves that out through painful circumstances. I want you to notice a couple of other things. Notice what's going on in the leaders there. I would have you observe that uh, anger and control issues consistently follow false faith. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. When they heard what? That they were back out sharing the gospel. Now remember, they'd been set free in the middle of the night by an angel who allows them to pass out of the jail, locks up behind them, sweeps the place, makes sure it looks all nice. And then sets them out in the temple square and he says, hey, this is uh, my plan. I would like you to share the gospel. Can you imagine getting set free like that? I think that you would listen to an angelic being at that moment if they said, I want you to share the gospel here. Wow, this was amazing. I think I'll do it. I'll listen to you. When the Pharisees hear about it, when the Sadducees, when the leaders hear about it, they're so angry they want to kill them. They didn't ask about the story. 
All of their people are shocked because they go to the jail and they find it swept and in order and perfectly arranged, but they're not in it. Nobody saw them pass out of jail. Every single time they pop them into the place, they pop back out. Jeremy Yip and Maurice Schweiter did a paper just a little while ago called Mad and Misleading. It was a study that they did where they found that there is a link between anger and deception. That is, people who are chronically anger, okay, don't look to the right or left, just look into your own heart. If you have an issue with anger, the chances are really high, they said, that you're trying to hide something. In other words, you shoot off a flare of anger so that they won't look at the mess that's over here. These men are angry. In fact, they want to kill them. Why do they want to kill them? Because none of them has a walk with God like these men. Here they are, the religious leaders, and everybody knows that God is for the disciples. God is at work in the church. God is doing supernatural things. And it angers them because they don't want everybody else to see that they don't have a walk with God, an understanding of God, or a focus on God like that. There is nothing that they wouldn't do for comfort. The disciples were uncomfortable the entire time, and God was consistently putting himself on display in their lives. They were angry about it, and their anger was they wanted to deceive the people. They wanted to distract them, fear them. Why? Because they didn't really have a relationship with God, and they didn't want to be exposed. False faith and anger go hand in hand. Just on your own, go back and meditate on that. I want you to see also in here in verses 38 and 39 that it's possible for right conclusions to drift through empty heads. Okay? 38 and 39, so in the present case, I tell you, Gamaliel says, who, by the way, was uh, the Apostle Paul's teacher, he says, keep away from these men. Let them alone, for if the plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. That is an absolutely true statement. In fact, it sets up the rest of the book of Acts. If this is true, you won't be able to overthrow them, and we watch the church explode, and the tide of the gospel go out in such a significant way, it never stops. It doesn't stop all the way till today. We are people who believe the gospel because of this message going out with power. Do you believe that? I just want you to notice the irony. Um, I have some notes of, of irony. I wrote a few things down here, common examples of situational irony. It, it's ironic when a fire station burns down. It, it's ironic when a marriage counselor files for divorce. It's ironic when a police station gets robbed. It's ironic when a member of PETA is on stage wearing leather shoes. Uh, a technology group, an anti-technology group, sets up a website in order to recruit new members. That's all ironic. This chapter right here, just these few verses we're looking at are filled with irony and it's comedic. Jailers can't keep anyone in jail. Leaders can't find anyone to follow them. People who have been silenced won't stay quiet. And punishment is seen as a blessing. Every step along the way, we're watching these ironic moments happen. Punishment? Yes, please. Jail? Wonderful. Love that place. I meet the most wonderful angels in there. 
How crazy is this? This is what happens when God enters the life. And, and these men are watching all of this and they're ignoring all of the facts that are around them. Their heads are empty when it comes to truth. But Gamaliel says these things and it just floats through this passage. Hey, if this is true, then this. If this is true, then this. It's possible you might be found fighting against God. That's the phrase and the refrain that will chase them all the way until A.D. 70 when the temple collapses. That religious system is gone and only the church remains. There's a final thing I would have you observe. Is that there is a key moment, a key mark of maturity that's here. Says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. A key mark of maturity is to move from, don't you know who I am, to, do you know who Jesus is? That's the transformation. When you stop being worried, about whether or not people recognize your status or who you used to be or what it is you've participated in or the significant people that you are around. When you are done with that and all you can say is, praise God that I know Jesus. This phrase has come up over and over again, even in our, our meetings lately. Guys have been reminding each other when we see amazing things that are happening within our church, do not praise him for this or for this or for this. Remember what Jesus told his men? But you praise God that your names are recorded in heaven. You're a child of the king. And anything else that he does through you, he deems as pleasing to do through you. You rejoice in him for what he chooses to do. Somebody had asked me a long time ago when I was a kid, I remember this being asked by a guy who's a pastor now. He says, I've been asked, I was asked the question, and this is why I'm going into ministry, when are you going to stop giving your opinions and start giving your life? That's what he was asked. So he said, you're right. Stopped with the opinions and gave his life. This is what's happened to these men. Instead of looking and saying, I wish, I wonder, and being irritated, they just said, Lord God, use us. And they went wherever God led them, and the result was explosive. As you are reading the book of Acts and you see these things and you are hungry in your own life to see God at work, the first question you have to ask is, will I allow the Spirit of God to do today whatever he wants me to do? Where are you at? Is that you? That's what I ask you to consider this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are blessed. We are blessed to have... These stories that we are reading in the New Testament before our eyes, we thank you for these testimonies, but we also are so blessed, Father, for the testimonies that we see in our own church today of people who are yielded to you, who watch you at work in fearful situations, bringing glory to yourself, not to them, but to you. We praise you that you are not done with us. Father, you still do the supernatural. You still transform lives, and we see evidence of that. And we ask that you would build our faith, that you would build that starting with the very first step, which is that you would give us yielded lives. Help us to become a church, Father, where people know if they run in 
to folks from this place, they're going to be challenged. They're going to be challenged because they see lives that are completely yielded to you. Father, we can't do that for pride's sake. We can't do that for any other reason other than you are worthy. So help us to see your worthiness and to bend our knee, bow our heads, give you our hearts, and trust you with the result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.